today we have celebrity herself, the one and only, Kitty London. Kitty London. Hey there. Wait, could we give your dang, your name? That's bad. Isn't it like yeah. you don't want to disclose that? No, that's fine. So so government name is yeah. Kenya Madison. Kenya, I can't remember. I yes, just, but they are there have been so many Kenyans, especially in <laughs> Wait, wait. There there no, seriously. So Google Google Kenya on TV. There's there's a lot of there's quite so, a few Kenyas. So let me get this straight. So there's several Kenya Madisons, Kenya overall. Just Kenya, yeah. You decided I'm gonna just change to Kitty the, London. Right. But then I have a name twin, like in Palm Beach County. Literally have a name twin. In Palm Beach County. And I didn't know that until later. We were in a church event and someone said, Kenya Madison, and we both stood up and we're like, wait a minute, I'm Ken- Will real Kenya Madison, please stand up. Um, so that was interesting. And is someone local like you know of? Like yeah, you know? yeah, they're in Delray. Wow. Wow. Right. But Kitty London actually came from a backstory of me being an entertainer. I had I have Yum Yum here on my tatted on. That was my first rap name. Wait, wait a minute. So you well, were from Kenya Madison. So yum well, yum. I was born Kenya Madison. So, right. And, yeah. then, so and then you persona. converted to Yum Yum. Yes. Yes. I, I don't want to go to Yum Yum yet. I want to give that a little time because Yum okay. Yum is going to be a very interesting story. Well, I already know. Yum Yum. Yum Yum. Y-U-M, Y-U-M. That was my rap name for many, many years. And when I matured and I realized how important branding was I had to get a name from Yum Yum. Yeah, I had to get it. Yeah, I had to get a name that one was a little more mature and also uh, something that was good for branding because I was not only an MC but I did other things. I wanted to do acting. I wanted to write. I wanted to create. And I'm like, yeah, you walking in a boardroom and your name's Yum Yum. Like, yeah, no, that's not. That really, wasn't gonna work. Okay. That's yeah. That that's not really. I mean, and hey, you know, maybe if I, you know, was a stripper until I was sixty, maybe. You know. Well, okay, let's 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 go bring it back but a I've little bit. But I've never been a stripper. But if I had been Yum Yum, would Yum Yum would have been a great name. Would have been appropriate. Would have been a great name. Yes. So let's start from the beginning, Miss Kitty London. Okay. Kenya, Kitty London. Mm-hmm. So born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh Pat man. Pataka, Celtics, Patriots, Beantown, six one seven. You really repping. Okay, okay. You're here now. You're here in Palm Beach now. I just had to... Yeah, be very clear about where you're from. Credentials, yeah. How long you... Were you... How long before you moved down to Florida? So, I was the age of 10 and a half, actually, when I moved to Florida. So, you know, 30 years here. You're a Floridian at this point. So, growing up in Boston, what was that experience for you? Raised with mom and dad? Just raised with mom. Single parent. Only child. Ooh. So I have a lot of only child tendencies, even as an adult. We'll get to that, too, um, in regards to why I am the way I am. Because you grow up alone. You're used to being alone with my cats and my teddy bears. So I had to have a, I had to be creative early because I had no one. So when I went in my room, I had to create friends and I had to create different things that I wanted to do. And I had, I mean, yeah. Only children are special. So growing up with mom, was that you guys had like a teamwork relationship? Yeah, it was like a it it came across more of a sisterhood. Now, my mom was very responsible, but because we were so close, it was more like a sisterhood, momhood type relationship. You guys just had to hold each other down. Correct. 
Correct, correct, correct. And then how did you guys end up um, leaving from mm-hmm. Boston to down here? Well, see, this is my mom's hometown. Okay. So my uncle, who was the rebel of the family, he decided to move to Boston first. And then some other people decided to move. So it was kind of like an Atlanta thing. Oh, move to Boston. It's a, it's a new thing. It's you know, it's up thing. north. It's, it's The culture's different. The weather's different. So my mom basically decided one day she was going to move to Boston. And she moved. And I think a couple years after that, she had me. Did she come from a large family? Yeah. Well, she has... Three, well, three other siblings. So two brothers that are now deceased and my aunt who's still living. So yeah, four. So she left from Florida up there and from the rebel uncle that decided to move to cold Boston. Be revolutionary and says, yes, come here, (laughs) come here, family. (laughs) So so once you got down here, um, how was the transition for you? It was different, um, very different because talking about the word culture, people talk different here in Florida. People dress different here. People act different. I came as a young girl, 10, very impressionable. Think about your fifth grade life. You know, that was the, (laughs) that was the climate of bullying and finding out where you were. You were, you were going through the whole elementary going to middle school. So that transition, and it was a little rough. I didn't have, brothers and sisters to come and say, hey, I got your back. I was literally dropped on a planet by myself. That's what I felt like. I'm an alien. I talk different, dress different, because it's different. North but your mother different. was also from there. She didn't carry that accent with her? or No, she didn't. And then she was in Boston for 10 plus years, about probably like 12, 13 years. So she kind of changed a little bit too, you know, coming mm. from... Boston, but it was weird. I I got friends, but I really um, learned how to defend myself very quickly because I was alienated and I had to do things for friendship. So I, you know, I started being funny. Um, I started doing music and rapping. So I thought I was like, wow, these things kind of attract people. Yeah, I was rapping early because I came from poetry. I always liked to write. I always liked to write. And then at that era, we started with the beatboxing and then, you know, you mesh with people. So I, I, I was a captain of the safety patrol. I was always smart. I was in gifted classes because, again, the education up north, no shade to it's just clear. the it's southern um, teaching. But usually a lot of the kids are, are far more advanced. In teaching. Did you have, so you said. And went to a Catholic school. I did too. Growing up in Northeast. Um, you know, I grew up in Connecticut. Absolutely. Rosaries. Yeah. So, but <laughs> now growing up. So when you moved down here, did you have a lot of family? Did your uncles and aunt have. So I had cousins. I have a, I have a big family when it comes to cousins. Mm-hmm. And so we were, we were not as close as I probably would have wanted us to be as a, as a young child. I mean, we visited, you know, you have your Thanksgiving and people gather back then family reunions were a little more prominent than they are now. I don't know when the last time people, that's real. That's a real thing. So that was when we gathered, but as far as school, I didn't go to school with any of my cousins at a young age. I happened to have a cousin when I was in high school who was a year older than me. So that kind of helped. But by then I kind of had made my way. I had my friends, my, my, you know, my clique and yeah. Yeah. So, so then when you got here, when you were in my fifth grade, mm-hmm. so growing up as a young girl in West Palm, 
Mm-hmm. West Palm. West Palm Beach. What school did you attend in West Palm Beach? So let's backtrack. So Palmview Elementary. Then I went to Roosevelt Middle School. Then I went to Suncoast. How was that experience first... in dealing? Like, before you get to there, in Roosevelt, was there any... So that's when you started that click thing where you had to find who you're going to be able to build a relationship with? Like, how was that? Yeah, correct. So middle school... Well, elementary school kind of started because the people that you went to elementary school with, you generally went to middle school with that transition. So it was like the same group of people. And I was just always one of those people who, again, they they knew me for, for rapping. They knew me for poetry. I was in chorus. I couldn't sing, but I was in chorus. <laughs> uh, tried out for the cheerleading team, didn't make it. And I ended up being a majorette in the band. So I was one of the only, also two, I was in classical band. So I was one of the only girls that played in the percussion section. I was the bells. Uh, had this thing on me and I was like ding 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 and we were in the drum section it was really weird but it was fun so I always had like some type of musical connection with people um, or some type of art connection with people like if performing arts was my thing was that your identity that you found or was that something that you were forced into because everybody else was doing it no okay so basically let me just backtrack real quick I used I would come here sometimes for summer with my aunt and my aunt is a psychologist, so she was really busy. And so she would put me in these camps. Usually I would probably, one, be the only black in the camp because I would be like I would go to like a science camp. And then one time I went to a performing arts camp and I was Betsy Ross. I don't know if you know who Betsy Ross is. She's Might the one that made the flag. OK, whatever. But, <laughs> right. But I always was in something that made me either think or create. Mm. So I, I think I gravitated to it. Like, I, it always was something that was in me. I, and now that I look at it, I probably was not forced to do it. But when you put someone in an environment, you know, they're going to either survive it or they're going to not survive it. And I chose to survive it. So I'm in a culture of people that I'm not familiar with. But we're going to do this dance together. We're going to do grease together. We're going to do whatever these instructors ask us to do. Oh, Ballet Florida was the, uh, the place that, that taught me a lot. I did tap dancing. So how important do you believe that the influence that you had from what the aunt Mm -hmm. put you, how important was that part of your life to where you are right now? I think it was very important because it introduced me to arts at an earlier age and it introduced me to a different art because being black, being young, I probably would have went to one genre, which is, well, two, which would be, of course, R&B or rap, because that's what we listen to. But because I was exposed to jazz and I was exposed to other types of music, country, I think I broadened my my learning spectrum um, when it came to music and then appreciating it more. So, and then, you know, going back to the identity piece, mm-hmm. I want to go back a little bit more. The relationship with father. It was off and on. So Earlier, he, was he in Boston or was he, he here? Was, he, he was in Boston. So I would see him every now and then. Um, he wasn't somebody that was constantly in my life. I did reach out to him later. I found him. I reached out, and he apologized for everything he did. And then we kind of got, you know, a little really, but it was by phone because he all he lived in Milwaukee. He moved. He moved back to his hometown as well. And then um, one time I didn't hear from him. But you know how it is when you don't hear from somebody often, it's normal. Mm. So you could 
let's say, pick up from a conversation a year ago and it's just like you just talked. You ever have those people in your life? So when I didn't hear from him in months, it was normal to me. And you know how you just think about someone, you're like, hey, yeah. And I would call him Alan because that was my, my, I never said dad. I always called him by his first name. So I, I was thinking, I was like, what? what? I haven't heard from Alan. I wonder how he's doing. I called, nobody answered, called, nobody answered. So I had an aunt that I reached out to. And we didn't really have a close relationship, but she knew about me. And so I called her and she said, you know, he died like months ago. I was like, what? Like months ago, what? Wait, wait, wait. So before you get to even the death part, mm-hmm. this is so interesting to me. So your relationship with your biological father mm-hmm. was Alan. Yes. Is it because that's what your mom called him or correct. people in the community? No, no, it was correct. Because my mom called him Alan and also because... It was almost symbolic to me to call him Alan and not dad. He he never was a father figure to me, so I, it didn't really even feel natural. I knew he was my dad, but it never felt natural for me to call him dad. He wasn't around. Because he wasn't around. So it was like he was a visitor. And so I call, and, and you know, you look at it now, you're like, well, I knew more than I thought I knew at that young age to call him Alan. Because people, like, want to say dad. Oh, my dad, my dad, my father. But it's like the relationship that we had didn't allow me to call him dad. And it was okay. So how did, wow, that's so, so when you called him Alan, he just accepted it? it was Yeah, like- he responded. And he knew, he knew. He, like I said, as as he got older and probably realized how bad of a father he was. Um, he came to a realization to apologize to me and my mom for the abandonment. Did he have other children? So, yes. I was always told I had four brothers. I don't know where that came from. But I have supposedly two brothers outside of me. And I met one of my brothers on Facebook. My mom, that's a whole other story. My mom, yeah, my mom remembered his name and something said, go on Facebook, because everybody's on Facebook mostly. I mean, you know, not everyone. I would say 80% of the population is probably on Facebook. And I, re- I saw the name, I Googled it, and I reached out. And he didn't respond. But if you go on Facebook and you do the inbox, you can see the little bubble head that... <laughs> <laughs> I call it the little bubble head. The little bubble head that shows. So it's like, you read my message. You seen it. So I had to come back and say, Kenya. I had to call myself Kenya. I'm like, this man don't know you from a can of paint. There's a lot of crazies out here that hackers. How old were you at that time? This was like five years ago. Okay. So I'm 40, like, you know. And um, he, he didn't respond. So I had a picture of my dad. And it said to my daughter. And I share his his name on my my driver's license. Like, it's in the middle. I was like, Mom, you try to put everyone's name on my driver's license. But anyway, so I took a risk because I'm like, I don't know him either. I took a picture of my driver's license with my name that matches his name. And I took a picture of the picture that said your daughter. And I sent it to him. And he wrote me back and he was like, oh, my gosh. He's like, I thought I was the only child. And I was like, no, hey, brother, <laughs> no, you're not. And wow. yeah, so we actually talked and, you know, we got and he even said, like, he told me stories about him. And he's like, you know, he was he was a drunk. He was this and that. And, you know, I knew some of the things, but did he have a relationship just, with him? It was almost like mine. 
it was almost like mine. It, it was certain things that he had uh, shared with me that, you know, they had like a, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even say it was closer. I would just say a different relationship. So what is the feeling like to know you have other siblings and you don't know them? You know, it's, it's not a feeling. Is that a because thing that you, you have to learn to do? To it's keep almost kind of like you can't miss something you're not familiar with. So it's not like we were in the same house and, you know, we got taken away from each other. And I knew and I was like, I got to find my brother. No. You know, like that color purple thing. I never knew them. I never grew up with them. We didn't have a bond. So someone told me years ago is what you don't know won't hurt you. Right. So is that, did you create mm. something in your head where it's easier not to find out who they are, build a relationship with them because of the relationship we had with your father? It just was. Well, I think, I think for me, it, would, it really was not a priority um, at the time. And I think I was young, so I didn't really know how to search for anyone. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you have, a, you have a, a brother. Okay. But I think it was because I did not have a connection that I didn't feel the need to be connected. That makes sense. You know, it's like, how do you miss something if you don't know how it feels? Again, going back to being an only child, that's all I knew. Was. Being an only child. So I get it where people who are adopted and they want to get to know their biological. And I think it's more so out of curiosity. It does not necessarily mean it's a necessity because some people have great families that adopt them and they do well, but there's always that missing piece. Like, I want to know how my mother looks. I want to know how my father looks. So I think as I got older, going back to the story, it kind of hit me like, I wonder how my brother looks. Is he still existing? Is he still alive? What does he look like? What does he like to eat? Does he look like me? Is there any connection now? Or there, there is. I mean, it's little though. It's 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 periodic. I mean, and I think that also comes from him. You know, him growing up as an only child. I think you both are protecting yourselves by. Di- yeah, like, and but I, I would love a you know a better relationship with him. But we, when we were off way, when I say people are people, um. I had to learn in life, and this is not just with my brother. This is not just with anyone. Or, But you have to allow people to be people. And you know what you've done as far as if I've opened up or, or did the olive branch or I sit, and that person doesn't come this way, you can't make them. And you, you have to be okay with it. Because if not, you'll end up hurting yourself. Because, you know, again, he's older than me. So he's been used to being only longer than me. And even though our father is deceased, um, I would think that or I would have hoped that we would have had a close relationship. But it's okay because people are people and they go through their things. And I've been okay this long. I I think I'll be okay. (laughs) I think you'll be okay. I think I'll be fine. So, so, But also (laughs) growing up, you know, around middle school, going Mm -hmm. into high school, was the presence of your father not being there, did it affect you any way, you believe? You know, I, I I think about this sometimes. How would I have been different if I had a father? I think if I, even, not even a father, let's take the father out for a reason. Let's say a male figure, a strong. It's a difference. Because there's a difference. There. You can have a male figure, and you know, and people have male figures all the time. Before you explain that part, I want you, could you explain what's the difference between the strong and not strong? Okay, strong male figure is someone who protects you, who shows you the right things in life, 
who who want you to have a better existence than they are. They are leaders of the family, right? A male, just, just having a, a regular male or whatever existence is someone who, let's just say for my mom, if she dated a man, he would just come in, you know, drink the water, go to bed and, and, and fart and go to sleep. I think there's, men do a little more than that, but, but, whatever, but I'm saying, yeah, there's whatever. no, there's no connection. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no sense of responsibility. There's no relationship with the kids. Um, they don't care if you, if you graduate or not, they're not looking into your future. They're just simply there because they're with the mother. There's no presence. It's there's just... no, there's no presence. There's an empty space. But when you have a strong male, you have someone who says, Hey, let me show you how to get on that bike and ride it. You know, let me show you how to fix this. How's your work? What what are you, what's going on? They have conversations with kids. And I think for me, you know, I think having a strong male figure probably would have helped me in my relationships with men later. Because generally, men know men, right? So if you brought a man to the house, or at my age, a young boy, and I'm, you know, when you had that love at 14, 15, you thought you'd never live again if they broke up with you. I mean, it was You're just... Still yeah, you're still living. But at that time, it was, it was heavy. And I think the songs had something to do with that, too. But you just you didn't think you were going to breathe again. But I think having that male, strong male figure in life that you could have went to, cried on their shoulder and told you it's OK. The, these are these are how boys are. They stink. They stink. But you'll find someone else. You'll be you know, I think that would have helped me in relationships. I think that was maybe the only component. Or if I would have had a big brother, he would put me on game. He was like, sis, that's game. You'd be like, what you mean that's game? Sis, let me show you. I done told five people the same thing. What? Right. I would have had game on men. That's I had what... to learn through heartache and disappointment. All these great men. I'm just saying. I'm so definitely pro men. So I and there are a lot of great men. Um, but there are a lot 100%. of hundred percent. They're they're amazing men. Yeah, no, there are amazing men, but there are also a lot of not amazing men and a lot of people who take advantage of people who are green, that's what they call it, or people who are gullible. And I would take people, I would give people an A at first and they work their way to an F. See, some people start you off with an F and you have to work your way to the A. I was always giving people the benefit of the doubt. And I think that was something that I had to learn in life. Like, you know, the red flags, the things like that. So I didn't have a big sister to put me on game either. Cause you know, that happens too. When you have someone. So you think another person in the house that wasn't your mom, that could give you a little bit more wisdom. Right, because you can't talk you about your mom to everything, you know. And I and I and that was one of our, our problems because remember I said the sisterhood. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I forgot she was my mom. So I would talk to her about relationships. And I was like, that was the worst thing in the world. Because I forgive him and she ain't forgiven him. Ever. 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 That's her daughter. <laughs> That was the worst thing. So I had to start separating. I'm like, this is my mom. <laughs> this is my mom. This is not my sister. I can't tell her everything. But that's where um, you also went and got information mm-hmm. from. Yeah, but you know, your mom giving you information and so, your sister or your friend girl or even your cousin, it's a lot of times it's a lot of different. And the judgment is not the same because we hold our children usually on a higher expectation. So the disappointment is a little different. See, your sister would be like, girl, you did what? Okay, we're going to go to the store. We're going to get the test and we're going to whatever. You know, it's kind of like your mom, on the other hand, is like, oh, my God, where did I fail as a parent? 
You, <laughs> you know, I had plans for you. You disappointed you me. You've been dating this hard-headed boy. And, but when you got to high school, how did it, did, did you start finding and getting a little bit more clarity on your identity or were you still? Well, the fighting? first two years of high school, I hated it because I was, I was at Suncoast High School. And Suncoast at that time was known for the nerds. It was known for the smart kids. And I absolutely, and I think it was because of a boy who's now in prison. But anyway, I'll, regret, I'll, I'll digress. But I think I wanted to go to another school because I wanted to go where the popular kids, where the fun kids went, and I wanted to rebel. So the first two years academically, I purposely tried to sabotage myself because you had to have a 2.0 or above or I think it was at that time or a little maybe a little higher and then the light bulb went off I had a um a guidance counselor that sat and talked with me she's like what are you doing you're so smart so why were you fighting that identity I'm a smart young girl because it wasn't cool to be a smart young girl it wasn't it wasn't cool to be a nerd it wasn't cool to want things in life I, I think I started gravitating to the thugs and the, sh- the street hustlers. And it was a lifestyle that kind of, I don't know, something about a thug was, uh, I don't know, attracted me. It was the bad boy thing that couldn't be tamed. And I think I got attracted to that. I think because I was so structured and so sheltered that something new attracted me. And it was the wrong thing. Now, I mean, now that I see it, I understand, like, girl, girl, if I could have... Went, a couple of people would have been missing out of the <laughs> couple people. But then I think about it, well, if they were missing, would I still be who I am? Because they were also part of my puzzle. Very true. Right? Um, what so, was it about that identity of that thug, the guy that, what made him attractive to you? Or what What were you attractive to? I think I think just because, to me at that time, bad boys were just, it was, it was a, a sex appeal. I mean, even though I was young, it was just something about the image of of how they talked, how they walked, they were flashy. Um, you know, now I think about it and just being transparent, I'm like, I'm, I'm thankful that I wasn't loose with it because I know people who died of AIDS back then. And it's like being with these drug dealers, you know, they have the the cars and the rims and the jewelry, but a lot of people got sick back then. And I was like, you know, thankfully I wasn't to the point where I was just trying to give it up, but I, I did have an attraction for people who lived that lifestyle at one time. And I don't really know where it's from. I don't know whether because they were mature, they, you know, they were like bosses and I was missing my dad and, you know, a lot of that. So I, I tell even younger people now, I'm like, you know, the nerds are actually the cool ones now. You think the, the drug boys, but when you flash back and when you mean fast forward 10 years, that, that same boy that you call a nerd may be a CEO right now at a business, right? And that other person that was flashy is probably going to be in jail or dead or something else. Uh, so... It was just an image. I think it was an image for me. And again, I, I used to like music. So automatically it was kind of like. It went the, with the lifestyle. The lifestyle. Yeah, I was rapping. I had gold, I had goals in my mouth. Yeah, that's another life. So wait, can he... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Just I had visualizing three, this I had thing. three goals at the bottom of my, it was like little tips. I used to wear Gucci links, colored hair. Meanwhile, you wanted, you were in Suncoast. Yeah, so Suncoast. So I got the goals actually after my senior year. Suncoast, the only thing I did on my body that was rebellious at the time was I got a piercing in my nose. And that was forbidden. And it was forbidden verbally. And I remember my principal actually wanting to tell me to put this thing, I had to take it out or I probably would have gotten expelled. And 
I learned at an early age how to read my rights because it wasn't in the student handbook. And I challenged it and they couldn't do anything about it. And I think later they probably put in a rule, but my uh, my guidance counselor was so funny. I remember the conversations. She had to be strict, but she got behind closed doors. She's like, I love what you did. You didn't allow us to tell you what to do with your body. And I was like, yeah. I was like, it wasn't in the rule. And I'm going to keep my ring. I'm going to keep my nose ring. Yeah. And you just felt that that was the route of going you stuck with. Mm-hmm. And I'm not crying. I'm, I feel a tear. I'm not crying. Don't worry, Kitty. You're gonna, no, no, you're no. I'm not crying. I just okay. you wanted to declare you're not. You're not crying. I'm not okay, crying. Not no, 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 no. My eyes are watering. I have so, allergy eyes. <laughs> so you. So when did you really get to the point where you accepted the fact that you're a smart young girl and I'm just gonna stick to sun coats and eleventh grade. Eleventh grade. I I I, I skid through with my grades. Eleventh grade. I started realizing I needed to buckle down and. A lot of my friends were talking about college. You know, 11th grade, you start talking. I'm like, where am I going to go with this GPA? <laughs> I'm going to be at somebody's um, school. And I started buckling down. And then 12th grade, it really hit me. I had all my regrets because all my friends were leaving early. And I had to redo some of the courses. But I ended up still graduating, I think, with a 3.4 GPA, which isn't too bad. I mean, I could have had way higher, but I just, first two years, I had to make up. And then I senior senior graduation went up to Daytona, got loose with someone I thought was a, a person that I was going to be with for a while. For the rest of your life, yeah, it didn't happen. I got pregnant. Yeah. So when you so did you go out to school or you just you guys had a relationship? You just no, no. So we I knew him like he kind of liked me for a long time and I never like paid him any attention and I just kind of gave in. Uh, yeah. He looked like Tupac. So I had a crush on Tupac. I, everyone knows this and I met Tupac. Everyone knows that I love Tupac. So he, he looked like Tupac and you said, that's the guy I'm going to be with the rest of my life because he looks like Tupac. Well, that was one of the, that was one of the things. Okay. And it, that didn't happen. I mean, you know, young, dumb and full of, you know what? So, yeah, so you guys, <laughs> um, so you guys decided to go to Daytona. Why Daytona? That was a thing back then. It was just a lot of people went to Daytona. And so, yeah, and we, we it only, when people say it only takes one time to have sex, it, it literally does. It, it, was, it was our first time and got pregnant. Age of 18, disappointed my family so bad. And I was like, I, I was working. So I always worked. I never told you that. I always worked. I worked with like a fast food. So I worked since the age of 14, always worked, always had a job. One or two. Just to take care of yourself or that was a responsibility that you No, had because I didn't want to ask my mom. Like, I was into, like, jewelry and I was into, you know, different things. And, I, you know, my mom being a single parent, I would ask her and she was like, well, I got to see. I hated that word. Those words. I got to see. see. I don't know. You know, we, you know, the rents do. Okay, so I'm getting ready to work because I'm tired. I want to go to the flea market. I want to put stuff on layaway. I want to do this. Like, that was my goal. So I always worked. But, you know, being pregnant, my mom cried for days. My aunt was like, I don't know who you are. Um, <laughs> was it because they had so much hopes for you? Yeah, I mean, being your... 18, I mean, yeah, I graduated, right? I mean, you know, I used to always say, well, at least I graduated because there were there were people that were 15 that had children, like in the 10th grade had a belly, you know? So at least say, well, at least I graduated. 
But yeah, it was hard because that was not an, I didn't expect that. That was an expectation for me. And I was rapping. I wanted to, you know, you think about your body image. I had lost weight. I was like, yeah, I'm getting ready to be this it girl. And boom, baby. And, you know, for the first, I was like, do I get an abortion or do I get two word, a words, abortion or adoption? That was, I was like. So when you had, so you knew you were pregnant. Those were your options to start. It was not even to take, to keep, well, to take care of the baby. No, at all. No. 18, rapping. It was just met Tupac. So it, was, it was, yeah, we were, we were hot girls. How was the the, cho- the children's father at that time? Well, he was in denial. I'm good one time. Wait, oh. so that one time. One time. You, you were still in Daytona. Mm-hmm. You guys broke up, done and over with. Yeah, I mean, when he started denying, so I was here. So he lived, he lived in another town. So I'm here, pregnant, 18, with my mom. She just, she got over it, um, you know, when I started showing. So then they got happy. Well, you know, they they accepted me. So then I accepted the pregnancy because it took me, like, almost three months to tell my mother. Like, that was all one of the hardest things to do, was tell her I was pregnant. So fast forward, I had the baby. Um, then I went to, I was like, well, I can't go off to school. But That's, before you even get there, how did mm-hmm. you deal with the disappointment of the family being so disappointed in you that you? Well, I expected it. It wasn't. I, I didn't. I didn't expect him to to give me open arms. I mean, that's heavy news. I expected them to be disappointed. Um, I didn't know how long they would be disappointed, but I. Expect, that's why I was like, I couldn't tell my mom. Like people at my job knew <laughs> that I was pregnant. My mom didn't. I was like, I can't tell her. Okay, she's like, Well, you might not can tell her, but that's gonna tell them soon because you're getting bigger. How was that conversation? Oh, you know, I think I probably purposely not remember that. It was hard. It was. I, I think I just I just came out with it, and she. I mean, she cried. Was she it was just screaming. with her, or was it was just any... with her first? And now she has to share the story with everybody. And then I tell my aunt that I was pregnant. What's wrong was harder, your aunt or your mom? Oh, they were both equally equally as hard because my aunt was more of the. Um, structured scholar the the one who wanted me to go to howard university you know she had my whole map out for me uh thought i should do this and thought i should do that and i laugh at that to this day because even my aunt apologized to me now and says you know what i'm sorry for putting so much pressure on you for 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 telling you what i wanted you to do you had to find your own way and they've always known this i've always been the rebellious person and it wasn't intentional it's because I can't be something that you want me to be. I have to be something that I am. And I think that was part of it. But my son, Chad, is one of my best inventions. Um, love him to death. You know, I have another son. I got pregnant at 26. Same, almost same situation. Like, didn't end up with the father. And again, we're going back to that game. That game that I needed. That game. And, you know, having two kids out of wedlock, I was like, that's it. I'm locking this thing down. I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do it anymore. So um, before, I want to go back. So when you got a firstborn, now mm-hmm. you have a child. Mm-hmm. How was life for you now? How was, because you, you also are, you're an artist. Right, right. So life was so, so a lot of the artistry um, got put on pause. But I actually found, I found a great job. And the way my mom worked it out was like, I worked at night. She worked in the day. So we didn't really do like the whole daycare thing for a while until he was like two years old. So everything got put on pause, no music, nothing. Um, but I did decide to go back to school. 
uh, I went to Palm Beach State College and I got my AA in film and TV. Because I said I wanted some connection. I was like, okay, I can't be in front of the camera yet. You know, I got to get myself together. Um, but I do want to learn how to produce music videos. That was one of my biggest things. Like, I want to do, I want to be the next hype one. I want to do music videos. So they had a, a associate in science, which was accelerated. You get two years and then boom. So I learned editing, film, scripts. We worked on an Avid, which was back in the day, that was like the best editing system back in the day. And when I graduated, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a big producer. And yeah, that didn't happen. Um, but I started looking for jobs. And I remember this news job it was hiring was an editor. And they wanted to pay like, it was like $9 an hour back then. I'm like, I got a child. I can't, $9 an hour is nothing. Uh, and then one of my friends was like, you know, uh, Comcast is hiring. And I think at the time they were paying like $11. So then I started working for Comcast 20 years now still working for the same company. But I knew at that time I needed stability. Now I do do have regret a little bit about that, you told me, because I said if I would have taken that editor job at $9 an hour, I probably could have been a news producer, executive by because you move up quick in a news. Absolutely. And, you know, but I me, I was thinking about the money. I didn't even see the big picture. So that's that's the that's a real thing. In 2020, for, yeah. I mean, for the longest, where a lot of people believe the money is going to get them to where they're going, mm -hmm. but really the opportunity in a relationship the is... Right, the, that keyword. But when you... So did you always have a vision to be in production, or was it what you were exposed to watching Hype William and all these different people that made you say film is going to be No, it? so I knew, I knew from early on that I was a creative person, that I needed to be into an industry where I was a creative person, whether it's through music, whether it was through film, whether it was through TV, radio, that was always something that I wanted to do. You know, at that time, you're thinking about what, the 90s? Media wasn't really big like it is now. I mean- We didn't have the same access. Like we earned right, a lot of it now. Right, so yeah, you had to grow relationships. You had to get the degrees. You had to be in the rooms. I mean, you know, right now, kind of same, but not really. So I, it was more structured back then. Um, being just like with music, now you can put your own music out. Before you had to send a demo, and hopefully, you know, people got got it. And I did get signed um, with a. It was a record company called EKG in Miami. I was one of the first female MCs there, and. Unfortunately, the business wasn't ran properly and it got shut down. So that was like a disappointment number 55, right, in life. Because I just knew I was going to be the next big rapper. Uh, hit, yeah. And I realized early that being a young woman in that industry, there were certain things that you had to do. And you could not just be talented. That was not, yeah, no. And people will say, oh, but usually it's male dominated. And, you know, no shade to men, but usually I'm men. I'm here for that. Don't worry. Usually men who have power, right, want things. Because in their eyes, there are a lot of talented women. What makes you different? What are you willing to do different than she is? Because talent back then wasn't scarce. I mean, this like, think about if you want a good singer, how many church choirs can you walk in and find a, a good singer? Right. Sure. So what are you willing to do? And I had to realize it said, are you willing to sell your soul to get sold? And 
I, I was not. I had a child and I didn't want to leave him, you know, with my mom because I felt a sense of responsibility. Even though my mom was like, she was my co-parent. <laughs> she co she co-raised my kids uh, because I never left my mom. I always stayed with her. And I didn't want to be that mother who my children didn't know. I didn't want to be that mother who my children call Kenya. Right. Because going back to the father. So I put a lot on hold for my children. So they would always see me in the morning. You know, even to this day, people's like, you have kids. I'm like, I see my children every day. You don't see them on Facebook because it's not your business. But my kids see me every day. And that's important for me because I brought them in this world. And who am I to abandon them? I think you said something that was so powerful. So you didn't want to, you didn't want your children calling you. Kenya. Ken, because of you calling your father. Correct. So that relationship with them was so important to you. But you said another thing. So the relationship with your mom Mm -hmm. of that teamwork that, Mm -hmm. um, was it because you guys had each other and that's all you guys had? That's all we knew. That's all we knew. You know, that's all we knew was each other. And my mom, her background is social work. So she was, it's kind of like people, if you ever know a person who's been in law enforcement, even though they're retired, they still have that law enforcement type, um, Mm -hmm. you know, thing, radar. And and that's just like social work. You know, she knew how kids were when they were placed in the system, how when they didn't have a family who loved them or who wanted to get rid of them. So she always was like overprotective of my kids. She didn't want them spending the night. You know, she didn't want them going places um, that we didn't know. And she was like that with me too. And that's why I kind of, I think I was a little bit, because I was, like I said, that sheltered because my mom was always overprotective. She said she was molested when she was a child. So she did not want that to happen to me. So all that spending the night and being on your uncle's lap, no. <laughs> None of that was happening. So that went over to me. So then I became a sheltered parent. So I'm like, listen, you're not gonna go over here. No. So that's how that's how our unit was was was. So parent so parenting while working a nine of you know, a career job mm-hmm. and also constantly finding because you said another thing, you said you know, failure number 55, what makes you keep on going? And why, Mm -hmm. how do you keep on creating an opportunity for yourself? Well, I always look for an opportunity that's going to benefit me. If it doesn't benefit me, and when I say that, meaning being a a prostitute in the music industry would not have benefited me. Maybe in the short term, yeah, I could have gotten that record. But in the long term, I would have been either drugged out, sexed out, might not even been here. You know, and I've always been a person as, you know, what I call is a hypochondriac. So I was always on health. I was always on just because it glitter ain't gold. Just because that man is sitting behind a desk does not mean that man is not HIV positive. Right. Because, I mean, that stuff is real. And I would never want to be that person to say, you know what, I gave up my my this for that. So I always would find I always knew that I was going to do something. I just said, well, this opportunity is not for me. I'm going to find another opportunity and then I'm going to find another opportunity and then I'm going to find another opportunity. So it was a lot of, it's like a maze, right? And think about it. It's just a lot of this. Okay. That's an empty uh, clothes. Okay. Let me go here, but I'm going to find my way out of this. What makes you keep on going? I don't, I, I, I don't have a choice to give up. I can't. What if I give up, I die. And it's not even in a physical way. Uh, 
state of death. It's a mental state of death. I can't even, I'm, I'm not wired to lay down. Because when you stop dreaming, you stop living. When you give up, you give out. So for me, it's not an option to give up. Because as God wakes me up every day as a new opportunity. So that no that happened yesterday, I'm looking for the yesterday. And that's what keeps me going. It's because I know with every fiber in my being that I am going to be a media mogul. It's no, it's no, I'm not even thinking opposite. I'm not saying what if, you know, the only way that that stops is if I stop. And I don't believe I'm stopping anytime soon. Where do you get that from? Intuition. Um, higher connection. Did you see some of this growing up? I, I, I've, I've always had, and I don't mean to say like I'm not a psychic. I don't like to use those words. Uh, you know, people say uh, I'm a visionary. Um, and I know whatever I usually vision is not going to be easy. So I never take it for granted. But what I vision, I work for. And it's not something that, see, people think you have a certain time, like say, well, I'm going to be a movie star. And people say, okay, I'm going to be a movie star. Okay, now that you've put that out there, how are you going to be a movie star? What are you going to do to work toward that? Because it's not saying that you can't do it. But what happens is most people don't work toward the vision. If I put it out there, I'm going to work. I, I'm, I say I'm going to get an Emmy. I'm going to get an Emmy. How do I get an Emmy? Well, you have to produce a TV show. Okay, that came. TV show's coming next year. So now I have to work toward Emmy-nominated material. Now I research who's got an Emmy. Why have they got an Emmy? So I always work towards what I want to get. And it's just something that I've always believed in. And I always hear people say, you, you want it, you write it down. Have you ever heard people say that? Like. You want it, you put it in a vision. And I've heard the, everyone who's gotten something. And I'm like, all these people cannot be lying. It has to be something in there. Now, get it? Now, yeah, I want a million dollars. Yeah, but you got to still, you got to work toward your vision. But did you see someone else in your family that consistently worked for what they want? Um, My mom... My mom is not creative. My mom is my mom is my mom, right? So she's a social worker. She's always worked. She's never been a lazy woman. My mom is not um, a creative person. She's she. I don't know where I got this from. I used to do like Michael Jackson and interpretations. Yeah, I don't think it's just a creative thing. I think I'm more at wondering where do you get the persistent, like the uh, constantly finding a way to create another opportunity for yourself. Okay, so I've, 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 okay, so I think, again, this, the only child thing has really gotten me to a point where I, I am so strong in who I am and what I want. I don't like to be told no. I don't know if people say that's spoiled. It's not really spoiled. But, you know, people say, oh, you got an only child syndrome. And there's some, sometimes when people meet me, it's like, you don't act like an only child. But only children usually get what they want because there's no competition. It's no competition. I want it. I get it. I don't have to think about my sibling. I don't think about how the, this person's going to feel. I want it. I get it. And I think that's always been who I am. So if I want something and you tell me no, it's only no from you. 
but I'm going to look for them or they or whoever to tell me yes. So I'm always looking for the yes. I don't care who you are and what you tell me. You say, I can't do this. Oh, I'm going to show you that I can do this because I've always had that in me. You're not going to deny me. And I had um, Mr. Uh, Willie Gary, who I love. He said, you're like me. You have a fire. You refuse to be denied. I've been denied more than I've had access. And I've always said, I never want anyone person to feel they have control over my destiny. I will show you better than I can tell you. So one of the things I always consistently mm -hmm. see about you, mm -hmm. you constantly create your own opportunity. You have to, because no one's going to give it to you. And I've learned that being a naive person in the beginning, I believe people had their best, my best interests. And I believe that people who had titles would get me to places that I wanted to be in or doors that I felt at that time needed to be open. I believed people and I realized that people will disappoint you quicker <laughs> than anyone else. And I, I say that because we tend to give people more credit than they've actually even deserved. You know, I'll give you an example. Beethoven, the CEO Let's just say I'm giving the name of the podcast station. Okay, so I know Beethoven. Beethoven knows what I do. Beethoven's going to get me an opportunity to get me into the rooms because that's who he is. Now, that's my perception of you. Beethoven is looking at Kitty like, okay, yeah, she, she all right. Uh, seen. I don't know why I'm being used as an example, but keep but going. But I'm just giving an example so the people can follow. You know, your perception of me is Kitty, all right? You know, I know a lot of people that interview. She's not special. Whatever. But you see how we have different expectations or perceptions, and that's what I think I had to learn not to do anymore. Just because you are a person on a network and you know, I know you or you're a person in the radio and I know you, I automatically think you're going to help me because I'm not asking for a handout. I'm just asking for an opportunity. And that's the difference. See, a lot of people don't understand the difference. Opportunity and a handout. A handout is when I've done nothing. And you just said, I'm going to give you this job because I know you. An opportunity is, for me, is saying, guess what? I see you. Right. I see what you're doing. I can't promise you that it's going to be the outcome that you want it to be, but I'm going to give you access to this room and I'm going to let you do what you do. That's the, And that's all I've ever wanted from people. I didn't want a handout. I love to work. I want the opportunity. So when I realize that the opportunity is not there, I create my own opportunity. So if you tell me I have no space for you on my show, Okay. Week later, I create my own show because then I have control over my ship because I let you be the captain of my ship, giving you the control. I mean, you can shut it down at any time. So when you shut it down, you shut down my dreams. I can't allow that to happen. And it's not, I'm not doing a godlike um, presence. I'm not all that, but I understand the power I have. And when I give you my power, I lose my power. I can't give you my power. So I have to create all my 
own lanes and I stay in them. You're talking, you're talking. Keep going. Sorry, just, I got excited. You're no, talking. I'm just I'm just saying, and 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 you know, we can't get upset with people because they don't move when we want them to move. Because it may not be in the card. Sometimes I believe a lot of my no's were purposefully because if I would have gotten yeses from a lot of people, I wouldn't have been able to create my own thing. You know, and that's what happened with my show because I wanted to interview people and I started on radio and uh, I had a radio gig for about two years and I brought the ideal and we did it for a couple of weeks and the radio shut down on me. And Beethoven, I had to realize, I said, wow, what do I do now? I've gotten people hyped up, but I was on someone else's platform. So I said, what happens now? And I remember calling one of my my people, my interviewers, uh, Adrian, shout out to her. I said, I'm not on radio anymore. I said, but I still want to conduct the interview. If you allow me to come to your home, um, we can do it. And she said, come on over. And that was the story. That was one of the biggest things for me because that opened up the uh, the people of power and the way I had it structured. And I said to myself, I will never allow someone else again to control my dreams because we allow people to have too much control over what God is saying. It's not for them. It's for you. I gave you the vision. Why are you allowing them to carry the vision I gave you? They're going to drop it. They're not going to do the things that I gave you. So now this is why, and it's not, coming from a space that Kitty has to control her thing. Kitty doesn't want anyone to work with her. You know, Kitty is a loner. And, and it's not because I don't want to work with people. It's not because I don't want a team. But I know right now I'm in the molding stage of who I am as a media mogul. And I have to make sure that everything that I do is careful and is intentional. Um because I've given so much to people who have just taken it away and said, you know what? They had no skin in the game. And when you have no skin in the game, you don't fight for it. You don't care about it. So I said the same energy that I'm putting into others, I'm going to put in myself. And I made that decision a little bit before the pandemic, Beethoven, to move in a way um, that I knew would accelerate my growth. Because being that only child, I felt like I needed people, man. I was like, oh, I need people. I need to bring everybody with me. And then I realized I'm the only one putting in any work. <laughs> I'm giving people opportunities and, and I'm, you know, comfortable being behind the scenes, but they're not hungry like I am. So now I've learned to say, you know what? When I do get this dream team, the person has to, the people, not person, but the people have to be either as hungry or hungrier than I am. I can't be the hungriest one on the team. Facts. Because you'll be going to get the food, kill the food, clean the food, cook it, and everything. Yeah, that's that's. If I'm the hungriest one on the team, (laughs) I've set myself up for failure. 100%. But then with with the um, media mogul, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm going to own that with, like, I love that for Mm -hmm. you. This journey of becoming a media mogul, you now have created another show 
mm-hmm. that you're producing right now. What's the name of the show? It's What's Poppin' PBC. What is What's Poppin' PBC? So What's Poppin' PBC is really based off of, uh, think about tourism. So, for example, if you lived in California and you thought about coming to Palm Beach County, of all places, where would you go? What are the places that you need to see? Who would you need to see? So I think it was um, important. You know, this is also sponsored by the the Film Commission, but it was one of the things that what makes people in Palm Beach County special? And thing for me is I think become becoming, uh, you know, a journalist. I have, I didn't say this, but I do have a degree and uh, also... Mass communications and journalism. Got that in late in life, but shout out to the older people who get degrees. And I am three classes away from my master's. Nice. You did it. I'm I'm doing it. So we'll we'll celebrate in in May on, on the master's. But there was something that I wanted to do where I don't want to just showcase a business. Like, yeah. What about the owner? What did the owner put into this business? Because I think that makes a difference. I mean, you, you probably don't know this, but you turned me on to grip bowls. <laughs> don't say that because a lot of people think I didn't do that. Oh, my gosh. Keep going. I'm messing with it. I don't no, but I'm just saying, like, you turned me on to grip bowls. So, you know, when I go to places, I always want to know the backstory. I'm, I, I don't know if that's nosy, but I always want to know the backstory behind people. So, for me. You're a creator. What's popping PBC is going to also tell the stories of the business owners of the restaurants, um, you know, seeing our parks and recreations, seeing some of the the events that we have here in Palm Beach County that I do know that need to be highlighted. Um, one in particular that I, I'm looking forward to is the uh, the Black Lux uh, picnic event that's happening in February and we will be out there doing some correspondence. Yes. Yeah. Um, Because that type of event, like I was so disappointed with media last year because I reached out to some media stations where I was like, you need to be here. You need to be here. And I think they got maybe one, but see, this year is going to be different. And And that's the thing why I know that me and you and things that we do are needed here because we need to showcase the middle section. I call it the middle section, right? Because when you're higher on the totem pole, you, you get highlighted. <laughs> when you're lower on the totem pole, you get highlighted because you're getting exposed. But when it's m- the midsection, you don't get, it's like you don't mm. fit in any, you know. It's not enough visibility in that space. It's not, right. It, it, it's, 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 too, it's not low enough to get highlighted. It's not high enough to get highlighted. Right. So that's part of the, that's part of what was popping PBC is because I feel that we need to showcase the things that are popping in our area. And it's going to be a diverse show. It's not just um, going to be based on black business. It's based on, you know, small business. It's based on uh, where should you go? What Lifestyle, are the things? Culture. Yeah. What are the things here that's popping? And so that's the first series. And, you know, we're already talking about series two and, and, and coming up with other type shows because this is just the beginning you know and it's going to air on WSFL that's more so Tri-County Broward uh, Miami Market also uh, trying to shop it to some other um, national networks as well but that's just one and I didn't know four years after independently starting my people of power show. People would say that, oh, I'm going to see you on TV. They, they would always say that. Oh, you're going to be next Oprah. You're going to be. And I would just say it. You know, I wouldn't think too much of it. Oh, clear. You believe it, Killer. 
You said you're going to be a media mogul. Oh, now I am. Okay. But I'm just saying, before then, you didn't really know. Yeah, before then, it was just like, you know, Uh, yeah. I want to be clear. Yeah. You you know what time it is. Yeah. You know, before, but then I started, but this is, let me just tell you, this is the reason why I went back to school. (sighs) This here looks easy. It's not. Right. And I know the camera didn't see it, but before there's a lot of pre-production that goes on. There's a lot of production. We're in production mode right now. Then there's going to be post-production after this. So I think a lot of times when people see people who are anointed or appointed to do something, they make it look easy. Oh, Beethoven's not doing anything but talking on the microphone. Anyone can do that. Anyone can interview people. But it takes a different intellect. It takes a different grind. It takes consistency. Because you can't do this show one time and feel like, oh, it's going to blow up. You got to, listen, For over 400 interviews I've done. Over 400. Over 400. So when about mid midlife people of power i started realizing that i had a lot more to give just by talking there's investigative journalism there's stories that people can't go to the news from because the news doesn't take every story people think that they're very selective by what they you could have the best story in the world and you in the newsroom will shut it down and if anything is going on that's national yeah you're not probably not going to get it right so where does the other news fall who tells those stories that still need to be told that's where independent media is so important because we don't sugarcoat it we don't cut it to six minutes when it's actually an hour story and I tell people you know when you do it do it not because you're on camera it's been plenty of times Beethoven I've been sick I've been I didn't want to do an interview but I felt like I had to but I wanted to do it properly. So when I got the opportunity, shout out to Comcast who paid for my education. Uh, I got an opportunity to go back to school for mass communication and journalism. I honed my craft and I tell people, people like, Oh, they brush off education. Oh, you know, everybody is school. Not for everybody. It's not, it's not. And I didn't want to do my master's, but I tell people this, my grad school experience made me sad. And that's an acronym. And that's, it gave me more structure. It gave me more accountability and also gave me more discipline. And those are things that I needed. And with, so there's another, there's a piece to that. I want to, cause hundred percent going into school and getting an education, especially mm-hmm. for the industry that you're working on to perfect mm-hmm. is so important. Cause I believe a lot of people go into school to school Mm. You're going to school to get an education to bring value to the industry that you're going to be a super mega media Me mogul. mogul. Yes. You know, I don't want to be very clear about that. <laughs> I think that's the difference. I think that's the that that's the difference, I believe, what you're doing and what mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people want to do or try to do or think they're going to do. You actually are going for a purpose. I like what you, I like that. You know, you're you're going mm-hmm. into a space where you want to, you know, you're you're working toward. You said something earlier in the conversation where you know what you want and you put in the work to go where you're going. Mm-hmm. That is the consistency I'm learning about you. Mm-hmm. That whatever it is, one, you're going to create the opportunity mm-hmm. because you don't want to be disappointed. You've been disappointed since you were a child. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to give people the opportunity to be um, in control of your destination because you gave so many people an opportunity, but you taking mm-hmm. control of your destiny is mm-hmm. is super dope. It's super powerful. And I think it's creating all the opportunities that you need. 
But I think mm-hmm. we spoke earlier this week. I want to touch on another point before we get off. And I wanted to stay away from this, but it's just a real thing. Okay. You said I made, um, I'm getting better at everything else, but I'm not getting better with relationships. Well, relationships, and that's that's all relationships. Um, relationships right now, for me, depending on... Dating. Let's be very clear. I want to be very clear. Okay, dating. so dating. So right now... Okay, I'm married, so I'm not dating. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm married, so I'm not. I'm not dating yet. I'm not dating yet. Um, but for right now, I think I'm in a space right now of a protective space, and anything that's not working in my life right now, dating, marriage, whatever, is almost put on ice. It's like I can't deal with it right now. Because it's about you. Why is that? Because you just said it. Right now, it's about me. It's about my protective space. See, we're all over the place, right? Physically, we're all over the place. More so mentally, we are all over the place. And I've noticed when I try to change people, um, it doesn't work. So now I'm changing myself, right? And, you know, marriage is not an easy thing. It's, It's a very harsh reality of two people that need to learn how to get along. <laughs> I'll just say that uh, because we are different people. And when you have hurt in a relationship, when you have hurt or distrust in a marriage, can it work? Yeah. It, it Does it take work to work? Yeah. Are you willing to put in the work that it takes to work? And that's where you, a person has to realize uh, or, or comes to realization that, this is going to take more work than I have energy for right now. So when that's when that happens, I had to realize to say, you know what, what's what's more important? So I have school that I have to finish in three days. I have to make sure my mind is good for that because I'm almost to the finish line. I have a show that I'm producing that I'm the executive producer for, right? I have details that I have to send because I'm accountable now for a whole production. I have two sons that depend on me mentally. I have a full-time job. I do media for other companies. I can't think about where someone is putting their penis at right now. I can't, I can't think about that. That, that I have no control over that, whether it stays in their pants or whether it's going out to the community. I can't think about that right now. I can't. That's too much. I said I'm a media mogul. I didn't say I was superwoman. So I have a list of right now of a to-do list. Putting a tracker on my husband is the furthest thing in my mind right now. Well, whether he's doing right or he's doing wrong, I don't know. But I can't think about that right now. And I think what happens especially with people who are quote unquote, like successful, you, you see these people on TV and you're like, I can't believe they're staying with them or whatever, whatever. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know if they file for divorce. You don't know if they're staying in separate rooms. You don't know if they're together because they have <laughs> a financial commitment. You just don't know. And it's really no one's business of why people choose. But I know for me right now, um, working on marriage is not, on my top 10 list. And it's not because I don't care about my husband. It's because I care about me more right now. 
And I believe that you have to choose what you have control over. You remember you said earlier, I don't like to be disappointed. And if I put my trust in you and you disappoint me, I can't really go to that place again. I have to create my own happiness. And creating my own happiness sometimes is burying something mentally that made me unhappy. Now, will I be a dog and go and retrieve that bone? Maybe one day, maybe a couple of months. But right now, I got to focus on getting it. Because I can't let something that I can't control destroy me and my future. And a lot of times that happens. We let the best of someone else or the worst of someone else get the best of us. And that's when people lose their minds. You can't let people control you and your destiny and in your mental space. You have to, like, dismiss people. And they can be in the same bed with you. And it's not anything that, I don't know, I can't, exp- I can't. for people who've never been there, it's hard for, for me to explain it. And I don't know if you've ever had that, that, that situation where you have disconnected someone who is still connected to you. I've killed a lot of people and, in my mind. And you have. still living. <laughs> if not, you, you, you will die. And it's one of those, it's either me or you. It's either me, either I'm going to fight you every day. And try to control what you're doing, who you're doing it with, what you're saying, okay, which is not good on on your stress. So so you end up in the hospital. So if I end up in the hospital stressed out over something that I had no control over anyway, I am no good to anyone. I am no good to my production team. I am no good to my kids. I am no good for my mother. I'm no good for anyone. So I had to choose. So let me tell you the funniest thing I can tell you right now while we're wrapping up. Mm Mm-hmm. So imagine me driving down this road, right? And then there's like a deer or somebody coming towards me, right? Mm-hmm. So when I asked that question, I was driving down this road and I hit reverse so fast in my head. Like, well, let me get out of here because Kitty's about to go in. You literally went in about this relationship that put everything on perspective. Mm-hmm. And I will never talk to you about that side again because I got the clarity of where you are. Yeah. You choose you. I was. I literally, I was talking, I was like... Reverse, reverse. Let me get no, out of here. No, no, it's, it's a real no, thing. It's no, and, and again, I'm, you know, I'm transparent as as, as as I possibly can be. You are, but I just don't put the inner. Like I've learned so much. Like if, now, if you probably would ask me that maybe hmm, some months ago, I probably would have had so many choice words on how this person. Da, da, da. But then when I realize like where I'm going, mm. where I'm going, I have no room for that, and. Things you have no room for do two things. They either fall off. <laughs> it's like a ship, rocket ship. You know, things fall off um, or they get with the program. But right now I can't even focus on that. You know, I'm I, I'm super impressed um, by your mindset that, I, you. you know, that you you carry. It makes complete sense to me now of how you get in the positions that you're in. Mm-hmm. You create them yourself, you trust yourself, Mm -hmm. and you're willing to put the work in for yourself. But you have a great sense of who you are, and that separates a lot of people from becoming a good media person or a Mm -hmm. media mogul. And I believe you're in your route of becoming this media mogul person you are because I don't believe you're going to stop until you get there. That's correct. Your consistency that I've listened to this conversation from childhood to first child 
through entertainment. And you had so many other success within entertainment mm-hmm. that we probably didn't cover. But I think them, I think your story is so impactful because of your consistency and your impact and mm-hmm. your trust in yourself. And, you know, you put in the work, man. And I, and I always mm-hmm. will commend and love and respect anybody that's going to put in the work. Mm-hmm. And I could never deny you of being part of Hustler's Testimony because you're someone that put in the work. You yeah. show up and I've seen you in on buses. I've seen you well. Well, listen, I got another and I got another one coming out, but another bus. And you know, I tell people all the time, it's not even about, you know, the think people think about the entrepreneur. Like I'm busting in the corporate arena as well. You know, I'm I'm a lead for the state of Florida. Uh, for the DEI Council for Comcast, uh, Black Employee Network. Yeah, and it's not about entrepreneurship. Right, right. And I'm just saying, so it's a lot. Like, I got a lot on my plate. That's why I don't, I don't well, have... Well, you carry it well. I think that's, the, that's the point that I'm making. I'm is like, as, you know, the, the term hustler testimony is somebody mm-hmm. that get up and create and fight and go hard every day for themselves and their family and everything they're, they're doing. And your testimony, you didn't have it easy. Right. You know, um, you, you deal with so many things but you're constantly moving forward. Cause, and I don't think you're accepting the things that probably caused you to kind of look back or mm-hmm. get adjusted. You, you haven't accepted anything and you only accept that you're going to be this media mogul. And I just want to give you your flowers now before you become too big to come by the show. And Oh, I will know, never be too big. See, listen, look, unlike me, and this is no shade to anyone, but you know, I've had a I've had a couple people on my show personally, and I gotta I gotta interview you too because I've been saying this for super, a while. But anyway, but listen, but um, I always would say don't get too big for an interview, and I and a couple people like they've they've gotten big and they they act like they know they don't know me anymore. But I don't I <laughs> I don't believe in that. I believe in great karma, and um, I believe if I sat down with you today, I can sit down with you next year this time. And talk to, about more of my 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 amazing more, story, absolutely. and we'll do that also. Right, um, amazing story. But I love what you do. I I love your grind. Um, you are are phenomenal. Your team is phenomenal because I know you have a team of people. Hundred percent. It's not me. I can't take the credit. Yeah, but you 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 can. I mean, you you're you're the you're the you're the captain, and I, I just love what you do, and I, I wish you much success. And whatever I can do, Beethoven. This is on record. This is on. This is no no cap. No, nothing, right? Um, no cap. Kid. No cap. Because uh, I know people, they just say stuff. They don't mean it. They just talk. A lot of people do that. Big fact. Um, I, I try to be a woman of my word. So I was here on time. I'm probably, and that's very difficult for you. I'm joking. No, Please. I'm actually usually, uh, yeah, usually no, I No, but you did. You did show up on time. You definitely were six minutes earlier than than 10. Yeah. And, I mean, because I just, you know, I just found out about this 48 hours ago. Yeah, yeah. because we talked about it and it was... <laughs> I just, you know, story. so I adjusted my schedule for, for Beethoven. Stop it. Um, like, <laughs> I had to get my team to, to you know, I was on, supposed to be on Good Morning America today. And here we go. 48 hours, Beethoven told me he forgot to put me on the book. So I thought I did. And my team called me and said, what are, what are we doing? On th-? And I was like, oh, I didn't call, tell you guys yeah. or tell her. Mm-hmm. But it was all complete in my head. But we're here now. No, Kitty, it's been a it's been a great experience. I love learning about more about who you are. I appreciate your authenticity. Um, Thank you. I can't wait to for Good Morning America when you <laughs> talk about your Emmy of being a, a media mogul. So, anything else you want to add? You want how to connect with you or what to look forward to on your n- next show? 
And your other show. Anything you yeah. Need so, so January, we start filming. So January to uh, March of... The, I mean, January is really, he could be, it's like here in five weeks. I'm like, good gosh, it's going by fast. So we start recording. So you'll see me uh, around these uh, Palm Beach streets uh, getting some great interviews and great footage. And then we air the first Sunday in April. We air. So we're going to air for 13 weeks. Um, it's going to be six episodes. And I'm already now looking for um, additional shows. So my goal and I, I say this uh, very firmly. My goal is by 2024 to have three shows on television. Cool. And as long as God gives me breath and a sane mind, and this is why I can't think on things that can't concern me too much, um, it will happen. And I don't want to just be the uh, face of every show. This The first show I had to be the face of because I had to make sure that it went well. and. I can depend on me. The second and third show definitely will have different cast and, and different uh, people that I want to have in front. I don't know who they are yet, um, but I know that they're going to be other people because I don't always want to be in front. I, I like to be behind Sorry. the scenes. Right. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So, hey, I had to put on my host face and, and get this thing popping. No pun intended. What's popping? Yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited about Palm Beach, and I'm excited about you and all the things that you're doing. I know you got some other stuff happening. And to follow me, just Kitty London. I keep it simple, K-I-T-T-Y-L-U-N-D-A-N, and that's on all social media handles. I don't do all that crazy stuff on Twitter. I'm Twitty to Kitty. I'm really not on there as much as I need to be, but hopefully I'll get better in 2024, 2023. Yes, um, but it's been a pleasure. And how can they follow you and, and get Oh, his? I forgot. The team told Kitty But no, that. I told you I was going to remind you. You're going to remind me. So, yes, please follow, <laughs> like, and share, subscribe to the platform. I'm working on becoming better and saying that. But I'm so in tune with the conversation. And I'm a terrible media mogul. God bless. Good night. Kitty London. <laughs>